Uh, the text for today, brothers and sisters, is Psalm 67. You can turn in your Bible there. If you do not own a Bible, a hard copy of the Bible, we have some in the back that we would love to, uh, for that to be our gift to you. And so you can make your way back there and grab that. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. Great to be with you all this morning. Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here. And uh, there's a, a little bit more of a Labor Day remnant than I thought there would be, uh, especially with the, uh, you know, the threatening storm. Uh, as, as we were walking over, Sophia is, is, was saying it's like the sky was just like holding back tears, like just embarrassed to cry, like just acting as if it was going to, but wasn't quite, just didn't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody. So hopefully it'll relent and uh, pour down those waters. And so uh, I'm curious, no, you don't have to, I'm just curious um, in the sense of not answering out loud, but just giving you a moment, even as we uh, prayed at the beginning, just to consider how you're doing this morning how you come into this place, uh, how even those songs for you, were those encouraging, were those life-giving, uh, were those prayers you're desiring to believe, were those uh, songs that you are singing out of great belief. Um, even a, one, a reminder, and just to let you know, even this morning, uh, so every morning we have, on Sunday mornings, we have pre-service prayer at 930 that everybody is welcome to. Um, and so you are welcome to come and pray with us. And uh, we, we really enjoy seeking the Lord. And it's not, it is praying about what God would do in this moment, but it's also just coming together as God's people and praying and seeking him. And uh, like that moment in itself is enjoyable and good and something we want the spirit uh, to move in. It's not, we don't just have that moment just so, you know, the rest of Sunday is encouraging. So I wouldn't invite you to that, but one of the things I was thinking about even as I come in here this morning is there's like just this hecticness. Uh, well, I mean, some of y'all have kids, and so we have four kids, and Ginger is uh, sick, and so she may still be asleep right now. I'm not really sure, uh, and so that's how her morning's going, uh, but uh, so just getting four kids ready for church, finishing up stuff for this morning, and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm coming in pretty hot and, you know, kind of going and at a clip, and, and so just that, just that my mind and my heart are a little more hectic uh, than they normally are on a Sunday morning. And so just acknowledge that. And, you know, how, how are y'all? How are y'all coming in this morning? Uh, we want to be a place where, one, we just, you know, we're not just here to think about who God is in some ambiguous, detached way from our actual lives. But we want who God is and all that he has to say to us to actually impact the reality uh, of our lives. And so I, I pray towards that end for me and for you this morning. And so thinking of that, um, you know, a couple of questions for us to consider even as we think about our lives, as we think about who we are, I'm going to give you a, kind of a thought experiment this morning. One, um, if you were to come upon a random person and you were going to try to convince them of one thing, 
Like somehow, this moment, you just get a moment with someone you don't know, but you get an opportunity. They maybe even want to be convinced of something. They give, they're like, hey, if you could convince me of one thing, what would that be? What would you come up and convince me of? What would you want to talk me into? What would you want to encourage me towards? What would you want to convince me of? And, and I'm sure we're at church, so you all went real Christian real quick. But, um, but even if we were to step back from that just for a second, you know, some of you are avid Android users. And if you're honest, that's the moment you, you've been wishing for, is uh, someone would just give you a moment so you could voice all the benefits of a non-iPhone situation. Uh, some of you, you know, a popular thing is like a cold plunge right now. Some of you are just like, hey, it, this will change your life. If you just cold plunge every day, uh, figure out how to do it, and that's what you're convincing them of. Whatever your, your newest thing that maybe you're onto or encouraged by or, and, and is actually helpful in your life, maybe you're uh, taking that moment. And then, obviously, uh, many of us would, if we had that moment, we genuinely would be like, man, I want to encourage you in all of God's love for you. I want you to know about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And I, obviously, that's, that would be our hope for uh, that moment uh, in many ways. So there, there's that. If you, if you had that moment to convince someone of something, what would you try to convince them of? Now, think about this. If that same random person was allowed to follow you around for a week, and uh, just observe your life, be with you throughout your day, hang out with you, be a part, be a part of your family for a bit, be inside your house. Um, you know what? Let's go ahead and give them the supernatural power of being able to see your thoughts. Now, what would they be convinced of? So there's that idea of, okay, we see this random person. Oh, man, I got this opportunity. Here's what I'm going to try to convince them of. Now, what's the difference between that, if there is one, between that and what they would be convinced of if we didn't tell them anything, but they just saw how we lived, saw the conversations we had, saw what we were passionate about, saw what we desired, saw what we celebrated, saw what we enjoyed, saw what we invited others peop other people into, saw the thoughts we had in different situations, saw the, pr saw the prayers we did or did not pray as we're going through uh, our day. What would they be convinced of. And, and here, here's what I, I want to acknowledge, because some of us, uh, I mean, this is all of life. Some of us are too easy on ourselves, and some of us are too hard on ourselves. So let me just acknowledge this. There's a gap in those for all of us. None of us have that, like, oh, I'm convincing someone of the gospel, and I'm living this gospel out perfectly throughout my life. That's J Jesus is the only, one, only hero here. He's the only one that did that. And so, so we all have this gap. So let's not just, uh, you know, before we get, even get going, heap shame uh, on ourselves. Uh, but do we acknowledge there is a gap? Do we acknowledge that, oh, there is maybe some difference between what I would long to convince somebody of, especially if we're going to think about who Jesus is and the gospel and all that he has uh, for us in his life, death, and resurrection, and what it looks like for me to live out my life and what those people would be convinced of. There, there is a gap for all of us. Again, we might try to convince someone that God loves them and yet go the whole week without really being motivated by God's love for us. Um, we, we might uh, try to convince someone of the, the truth of who Jesus is without trying to pursue the person of Jesus in our life all week. And, and that is a gap that we should consider uh, in and acknowledge. And, and I, I, I think what I would hope for us as we even think about that 
Um, one is that we would just consider one that we wouldn't uh, heap shame, but that we also wouldn't ignore the Spirit's conviction. Right? Like how would the Spirit want to lead us in those two different realities and whatever kind of gap there is there. And I, I think if we just uh, allow this psalm to wash over us, it, it'll help us towards that end. Uh, that's what we see in Psalm 67. Again, this person's not perfect, but this person, it's hard to deny, they genuinely enjoy and love who God is, and they genuinely want others to, to be convinced of that reality. Um, and at least at this week in their life, it seems like that is an overflowing uh, reality, and we desire that, and we want that, and we want to live those kinds of lives, and so I think Psalm 67 will, will be really helpful as we kind of close out this series on community. So if you, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, community uh, as a local church. If you're a part of a community group, hope to be a part of a community group, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Uh, last week, we talked about what does it look like to be a community within a community, that we live in this Fort Worth and surrounding areas. What does it look like to acknowledge that, consider the place we live, uh, and have God's heart for uh, the place we live? Uh, and now we're going to close off this time uh, by talking about multiplying uh, communities. And if there's ever a kind of a psalm written on God, some just incredibly foundational Old Testament text, it's, it's this one. So you, you'll hear uh, this psalm in, in uh, Genesis 12 and number 6. Let me read these for you. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then some of you maybe thought of this even as you heard Psalm 67. uh, We have the priestly blessing in Numbers 6. Starting in verse 22, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Actually, the, the earliest uh, archaeological scripture we have that's ever been found uh, is that, is uh, Numbers 6, with the, with the name Yahweh on it and that ironic uh, blessing that is, uh, I think, from the 6th century B.C. And, and these are just foundational texts uh, about who God is and his mission in the world. And Psalm 67 really takes those realities. God's blessing comes to us and then passes through us to others. And this is what we mean by multiplying communities. All that God has poured out on us, we want to pour out to others. Even, even I think in the, the church world today, I use the word multiply just because we're probably most familiar with that. But obviously, I also think when we hear the word multiply, we probably have a small view of what that means. And we probably think just really kind of mundane, churchy things uh, as opposed to, okay, what is it, who is God and what is his heart for the world? That's what we want multiply to mean. Uh, that's what we want uh, us to mean when we believe that, just a Habakkuk, just that, that God's glory would cover the earth as the waters cover 
the sea. That, that is what we mean and want to mean by multiplication. Or if you think about Ezekiel, when uh, if you know Ezekiel uh, 47, there's this beautiful picture of uh, this temple and this river coming out of the temple that uh, signifies life and God's blessing, and it's flowing out and bringing life to all around it. That that's the idea of multiplication uh, we're after. Let's not have a small view of God's glory spreading through Northbrook Church, uh, but a, a biblical one. So, so we'll even talk about some of the tangible things like multiplying community groups or multiplying uh, ourselves. We'll talk about some of that, but I don't want that to hinder us and give us a, a small view of God's glory, God's miraculous work throughout ages, throughout nations, throughout the world. That's what we want, even in those uh, really kind of more ordinary, practical uh, realities. And so let's look at Psalm 67 and see what we can learn and what it looks like for us to be really a part of God's glory, saturating Fort Worth into the ends of the earth. Here's, here's what we're going to see uh, in this uh, little passage real quick. We're going to see that multiplication is genuine, that multiplication is miraculous, that multiplication is comprehensive and practical. So genuine, miraculous, comprehensive, and practical. I did four points, so all Baptist preachers are mad at me for not doing three, but you get what you get. Uh, Psalm 67, uh, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. So, so Randy read it in this way, and, and, and maybe you know this, but that, that term, when you come upon it in, in the psalm, Selah, it just means to pause. It means, okay, something has just been said that we need to consider. So I'm going to read it again and let you pause and consider. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Friend, has God been gracious to you? Has God blessed you? This, this idea of His face shining upon you, it's His presence, it's His attention, it's His peace accompanying uh, his, his looking upon you. Is that true of you? Uh, again, the, the beauty of this psalm is there is a real person writing these real words and, and feeling this deeply and, and really desiring uh, others to know it. Again, I think this gap is probably a little smaller, although still present in the psalmist's life as he's overflowing with uh, this desire and this hope. Um, but we should consider, um, even, even as we think about him um, celebrating God, just the, the first thing he says, the, the first thing he celebrates God be gracious to us. Like there's this idea, we see the same thing in, in Psalm 51, that, that there, there's actually no hope of approaching God in any way outside of God actually being gracious. Like his mercy and his grace is the only reason we can even enter into his presence. The only way we can ever utter a word that he would hear and care and tend and respond to in any way. That, that he is gracious to us. Um, that, that is, that is the, the dominating 
theme here in verse 1, the, the entrance into this heavenly throne room. And, and the psalmist is overwhelmed and enjoying uh, the Christian life because of this reality. If, again, if I were just to ask you, even you're, you're, you're a Christian, you, you enjoy God to some degree. If I were going to say, hey, what do you enjoy about God? What, what is the main thing you enjoy about God? And obviously, there can be a long list there. But if the fact that God has forgiven you of your sin does not make the top of that list, something is off. I mean, again, we experience different things in different moments and are encouraged by aspects of God in different ways. But if uh, consistently being encouraged and thankful that God has forgiven you your sin is not one of the main reasons you enjoy God, then you've gotten off somewhere in your Christian life. This is the, the steady theme of the scriptures. That who are we that God would be mindful of us? That who are we but sinners, but who is God but the one that has made a way for sinners to be reconciled to him. What do you enjoy about God? How does his gracious forgiveness of your sin uh, work into that reality? Again, this is one of the pinnacles of the Christian life. Um, and then I think the, the reality is when we, and we can get off here, we all, we all get, we all get um, kind of, inundated with this the reality that we've been forgiven in such a way that it just becomes ordinary and basic and we can kind of our hearts can grow dull and dim to that truth Uh, but again do we see the need for our hearts to be awakened uh, to that truth and I think to the degree that we continue continually be are awakened to that truth that that we receive and enjoy God's grace for his actual uh, sin in our life the more we are actually going to genuinely multiply that reality like some of us, again, we get overwhelmed when we think about, oh, okay, what do I need to do to multiply or share the gospel or be a part of what God's doing? Well, one of the things we just need to do is actually enjoy what God's already done for us. Uh, like before we get to going and doing, before we get to uh, going and making disciples, it's the reality that Jesus is with us. And he is with us because he is gracious and he is merciful. What happens often is we go and do without that joy. We go and do and try to make disciples and try to be about what God's about and be engaged in all the ways that we need to uh, be engaged. And we're doing it in our own strength, trying to, uh, you know, correct that gap in our own power and realizing, oh, wait, God has done everything. I, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, operate out of lack. I operate out of fullness. I don't operate out of scarcity. I operate out of God's generosity and abundance overflowing to me. That, that, that's what we get to act out of as we consider being a part of what God is a part of, of being a part of multiplying his, his fame and his glory uh, throughout this area and throughout the nations. And so again, what do you enjoy about God? How does the reality that God has forgiven you of your sins uh, become a part of that? When we don't enjoy God, what we end up doing is multiplying some false version of the gospel. Maybe it's one of morality Maybe it's one of a certain kind of knowledge. Uh, maybe it's cultural Christianity. Um, you know, just when you see people that have their kind of pet thing, like, oh, I'm really about this. And then they kind of just want to multiply what they're about in that thing. Sometimes we start to exalt things and we forget that we're forgiven. And we want to multiply nothing else but the reality that God has saved us by his grace and by his mercy. And there's nothing we could have done. And we get to be caught up into that. And we get to enjoy that. That's the kind of multiplication that we want to see happen. That God has been gracious to us and blessed us through Christ, has shown his face upon us. That is what we want to multiply. And so 
let me just give us some practical steps here as we think about enjoying God in this way. None of this is going to be mind-blowing, but I want to encourage you to think about this this week. Take some time as you consider, as you uh, pray, as you have some time with God, and would you even dwell on the reality that sin exists? Okay, we haven't got to your sin yet. Just wait. We'll get there. But, but just consider, like, sin is a thing. Like, if, even if you were to think about what makes most sense of the world, and I'm not that smart, but I've thought about that question, and to be honest with you, that's one of the things that helps me make sense of the world, the reality that sin exists, because I see brokenness and destruction everywhere. It's not the only thing I see. I see redemption and reconciliation as well, but I see brokenness and destruction everywhere. And of all the different ways that people try to explain that and all kinds of different that you maybe have explored as well, sin is the one that comes back to that makes the most sense of how this world exists in its current state. So, so maybe even just take some time to, to consider that sin actually exists as a reality. And by sin, I mean, obviously, people, creation that were created in God's image to glorify him have chosen to not do that very thing but rebel against uh, the very one that has created them. And then... So if sin does exist, then take some time to see, oh, this actually exists in my life. Like, like sin is actually present in my life. There's sometimes when I feel repentance lacking in my life, when it's not as consistent as I would hope it to be, when it's not as joyful and uh, as, as, as I'd want it to be, that really, to be honest with you, is, is whatever this sounds like to you, that actually just taking a moment to be like, God, where is sin? Where is sin in my life? What is going on? And I'm not hunting for something that I'm not, I'm not trying to go deep into the, the bowels of my own heart and try to figure everything out. I'm saying, where is obvious sin in my life that I've been ignoring? And just allowing the Spirit to use that moment to convict or show and, and, and bring uh, awareness to where I am unaware in those moments. And that's a, that's a really healthy practice as the Christian. If we uh, sin in specific, then there we should actually confess those sins specifically to the very one that we have sinned against. Um, and then, uh, so take some time to consider uh, what that is. And sometimes categories can be helpful here. I was actually talking to uh, a counselor uh, recently, and we were talking about some different things in my life, and he told me to dwell on these three areas, so maybe they'll be helpful to you. He's like, hey, why don't you take some time to pray and consider where you're cynical, where you're restless, and where you're entitled. Like, where, where do those things kind of show up in your life? And take some time to pray and consider that. Now, in those areas, sin is not the only thing that's going on, but it is an aspect of that. So take some time to consider. Maybe it's not those, maybe it's something else, uh, but those have been helpful for me. And then finally, obviously, if we are like the psalmist going to confess God's grace to us, it's that. It's once we realize sin's a reality, that once we realize that, oh, there's actual sin in our life, then we confess that the only remedy for that sin is to, to trust and cry out to the very one we've sinned against. We, we so often like to keep our sin horizontal. Like it's just against this person or just against that person or it's just in my own heart. And it is never hor just horizontal. It is always, it's like David, against you and you only have I sinned. David has sinned against so many people horizontally. He had an affair, he committed murder, he sinned against a whole nation. But he could say, because he was so convicted, against you and you only have I sinned in Psalm 51. 
And there's a reality that sometimes we try, our repentance is stunted because it's not centered on who God is. It's not centered on the one who is most offended by our sin. It's, it's centered on, okay, I was doing this thing, now I need to stop doing this thing and go do this better thing. Surely that is an aspect of repentance, but that's an outflow of repentance. That's an outflow of realizing, oh, I have sinned against the very one who's done everything for me. I've considered all of that rubbish and ran my own way. And to receive grace from the one that is most offended, again, that is where this kind of Psalm 67 joy kind of flows from. Church, if we're just faithful, just even to those simple steps, if we did nothing else and just engaged in that simple biblical practice, man, that God would multiply that. That God will multiply that throughout Northbrook, that God will multiply that throughout our community groups, that God would multiply that throughout our city and to the ends of the the world, that, that, that we would be a people and see a people enjoying God's grace for their sin, uh, that God would do that work. We, man, what, what else would we want to be a part of in our day, in our time, with this little bit of time we have on this earth? Um, and then, so secondly, so uh, first, that was, that was multiplication is genuine, if I didn't say that. And, and what, the other thing about that is we are going to multiply something. Like it's genuine. Whatever was genuinely going on in our life is what we're genuinely going to multiply. Um, and so if that's the genuine thing going on in our life, then praise God that he would use that and multiply that reality. And then, secondly, multiplication is miraculous. Here, here's, the, again, one of the things I wanted to say about multiplication in the church, and maybe I've just been involved in church leadership for a long time, so maybe this doesn't hit with y'all, but sometimes people like me use the term multiplication to say, hey, it's kind of code speak for more people need to be involved and more people need to be doing things better. Like, uh, that's multiplying. It's like, hey, just, you're not really doing all you need to do, so let's start doing that and start being better at what we're doing and just multiply more work throughout uh, either some kind of volunteer opportunity. Uh, There's just a superficialness to uh, how we can use, how people like me can stand up here and use the term uh, multiplication. And what we can do is we can start to think that multiplication is this thing that we can control. Like if we do this and then do that, and then here we go, this happens. But when you look at the reality of multiplication in the scriptures in any kind of way, when you look at God's work happening in the Bible, it's miraculous. This is God's work that, that man gets caught up in and gets to be a part of and, and gets, to joy, gets to enjoy. There's no like, oh, if we just had the right people in the right spot doing the right thing. And, and I'm not saying those things aren't, aren't important, but we put so much emphasis there that, oh, that's going to create uh, the miraculous work that we want to happen. And no, when it, show me that in the scriptures. Uh, or show me Acts 2 where God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, where God pours out his spirit where God moves in a miraculous way, uh, where God redeems from Egypt. Uh, God is the one who, who, who multiplies his fame uh, throughout the ends of the earth. Uh, and so let's not, let's not view multiplication in this man-made, kind of man-centered way and view it in this God-centered, God, you uh, do this work. This is your work that we get to uh, be a part of. Multiplication is miraculous. We see this in, in verse too. Like the kind of the content of this miraculous work is that, that God's way would be known on the earth. His saving power among all nations. I, th- I think when we think about God's ways being made known on the earth and that being multiplied uh, throughout uh, the ends of the earth, 
Here's one of the ways we make that kind of man-centered. We kind of take that out of God's hands and put it into our hands when we kind of change what God's ways are. Like, man, God's ways are kind of offensive right now. Like, if we can just kind of change those a bit and make those a little more. I remember I was watching a debate a long time ago, many years ago. This has been a conversation, obviously, for a long time uh, between Rob Bell and a guy named Andrew Wilson uh, from the UK, and they were debating just what the Bible says about homosexuality. And, and obviously, there was a, a lot to say there. Uh, but then Rob Bell, he was, you know, they talked about the Bible. They talked about different things. And then Rob Bell was like, hey, we're losing people. We're, the, the church is losing people. And, and, and in that, he was revealing his desire for why he thought, you know, he could change what the Bible says because the church was losing people. What he was doing was taking the miraculous out of God's hands and putting it into his hands and saying, oh, if we just change this to make it more palatable. And the same happened in the first century in the Roman, like the, the we talked about this before, but in the, uh, the New Testament church in the first few centuries, uh, the Romans would say of the Christians, it's like they, they share their table with anybody, but they don't share their bed with anyone. And that's so confusing to them. A, a culture that shared their bed with everyone and, and was not very hospitable in other ways. And so there's always some aspect of who God is and his way that's going to offend every culture and every time. And even in our, our culture, it's going to change. God's ways offend you know, our culture in particular ways right now. 50, 100 years from now, those are going to be different ways. And so what we do when we try to multiply God's uh, name his fame his glory in our own strength as we we change his ways but we also see this that for anybody to believe in God for for you to agree with God's ways is a miracle for 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 me to believe that what God says is true is miraculous I didn't figure this thing out I didn't like go to school and be like oh okay now now I see God's ways are true no God's miraculous power saved me and I'm still figuring that out, but that I would have a hope to, that I'd want to, that I'd want to continue to grow in that, that any of us would want to, is miraculous. And when we think we have the power to change what he says and thinks about certain things to, to help people come to him, then we have, again, uh, done that in our own strength. His, his ways being made known is, is a miraculous work. And then, again, it's not our saving power, but it's God's saving power uh, among the nations. We don't have the power to save, and you can be freed up from that. You can be freed up from thinking you have the power to save anyone and, and, and put that uh, where it rightly belongs in God's hands. And, and we, we see the outcome of this miraculous saving work in verses 3 through 5. Let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. And then verse 3 repeats in verse 5, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4 is really kind of the crescendo of this whole psalm. If you see it, there's three lines in, in verse 4 versus the 2. That kind of gives a point. It's, it's sandwiched between verses 3 and 5 that repeats. And so it's the, the crescendo that the nations, all ethnicities, worshiping God, that God's justice, His way is being enjoyed, and that His guiding and His shepherding presence is with all the nations. If this isn't a miraculous picture, I don't know what is. 
that, that all peoples, all nations, worshiping God for who he is and his ways and his saving power uh, among the nations, enjoying his tending and shepherding and longing for those things. That's the picture we get here in this psalm. And again, when we have that big kind of view of, of this, this miraculous work that only God can do, which of us is going to usher that in with a, a strategy, with, with a tactic? With, oh, if we just do this one thing, or if we put these people in the right place, or if we do this or do that, which of us is going to usher us in with those kinds of decisions? And again, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but, but have we placed too much importance on those and not been in awe and in need and in prayer for God to do what only he can do? I mean, even just that. How often do we spend thinking about those things in our lives or in others' lives versus praying for God to do this thing? That, that just shows where our priorities are. That shows what we think will actually change. Um, are we on our face before God asking him to do only this? Or do we spend our time planning and strategizing? And then obviously there's a third option of doing none of those. And, and this just not being a priority in our lives uh, in any significant way. And it, it just goes, we, we must mention that God's judgment and shepherding that we see here in verse 4, obviously, they're culminated in the cross of Jesus, where our chief shepherd gives up his life, absorbing the just wrath of God for our sin, that we might be reconciled to this God. That's the, the beauty of the gospel. And so, let me, let me ask you this question. Where do you need to seek God's miraculous help so you can be a part of this nation's being glad. Like as you think about God's work coming to you, that you being blessed by all he's done, and then that flowing through you to others, where would you say you need God's miraculous help? Is there some barrier you have, you have to being a part of this? And I would encourage you to not think too lofty in this. A lot of these barriers are just really straightforward things. Like, you don't have time. Like, I think about, y'all could pray for me this way. I like to have someone reaching out to me, asking about these kinds of things, and I'm really struggling to figure out the logistics of just meeting with this person. Like, there is, a, and I need to seek God and ask him to help me just have a meeting with a friend. Uh, like, is, is there something like that in your life? Do you just feel like time is so short that, that you just don't have any time uh, to be about what God is about here? Uh, I think of the common ones. You feel like you don't have any experience. You don't know what to say. You are afraid. Like, like those things, when it comes to what God has done in your life, even if you know you're a sinner, you're enjoying God's grace for your sin, but as soon as you think about talking about that in any way with someone that believes different than you, you just, you just like, yeah, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to think. I have no idea what to do. This all just feels awkward. Well, would, it, would you take time to, to pray and ask God's miraculous power to break through in those areas? For, for God to move in only a way uh, that he can move. And even for the kids in here, I would just encourage you, this is not like an adult thing. This is like a thing for all of us. And, and kids, I would encourage you to embrace this in such a way that you can start trying to figure out what it means to uh, engage in some of these conversations with people around you, that you can start walking in some of these things and uh, see and, and desire for God to move in ways that, that only He can move. Um, 
And so if this week you're going to get with God and confess your sin, after that I I pray that uh, you would pray Psalm 67 for your life. And and pray for the barriers that you experience uh, of joining in this miraculous work of God, multiplying His name and His glory uh, among the nations. And obviously if it hasn't been clear, when I say among the nations, I mean like our neighbor. I mean like at work. I mean our family. I mean at the schools we go to, at the homeschool co-op we're in. I mean, and then I do mean among the nations uh, that God might call us to uh, give, support, pray, or go to the nations where uh, we want to see God's glory again uh, cover the earth as the waters uh, cover the sea. And then multiplication is comprehensive. If you look look at verse 2, all nations. Look at verse 3, all peoples. Look at verse 4, the nations. And then verse 5, all the peoples. And then again in verse 7, all the ends of the earth. God wants us to look up out of our little closed-minded little lives and see that his salvation is more vast than we can even comprehend. It's so local, it's so ordinary, and yet it's so vast. It's all-encompassing. I, I, this is a hot topic lately. I'm not convinced there's aliens, (laughs) but if there are, they need to bow their little green knees to Jesus. And enjoy his gospel for them. <laughs> I'm not sure their knees are green, or they have knees. Uh, but, um, but 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 his salvation has no end. Uh, wherever there is sin, there is redemption in Christ. Uh, and, and we need to open our hearts and our minds and look out of our little lives and see that this is what Psalm 67. It's all encompassing. There's no ethnicity left out. There's no nation left out. Uh, and, and we need to have that same kind of, of view. And here's how this, this reality gives us hope. Again, is there a person that you have given up on? Pray that God would give you the miraculous power to not give up on that person. Is there a part of the world you have written off? Pray that God would give you a miraculous view for that part of the world. If it's up to you, there is no hope. But if it's up to God, there, there's more hope than we can fathom and imagine. And, and then finally, multiplication is practical. Uh, I, I say this, I don't, we don't need to pit the practical against the miraculous. I've been pressing against the practical because I want us to have a view for God's saving power. Uh, but God often uses the ordinary things of our life to accomplish his miraculous work. Uh, and so, so we're not having just this ambiguous hope for God's miraculous power. We actually want that to, to show up in our lives. And often that shows up in the very ordinary ways. I, I, it's one prayer I pray almost every time I'm counseling a couple. Like, God, would you, or a person, God, would you use this ordinary conversation to do the miraculous work you're doing in people's lives? And I've seen God bless that prayer over and over and over again. Um, and, and so we don't need to pit the practical against the miraculous. We need to ask our, our, our view and our hearts to be enlarged to, to ask God to do, do his miraculous work uh, through the very practical things uh, in our life. Um, this desire in verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him, is a desire for real people that have no thoughts of the God of the universe to be in awe of the God of the universe. And so that's what we should desire. Again, it's not just this ambiguous hope. It's a real hope for real people that we really know or that we really hope to know. Uh, Come to see who God is and actually be in awe of who he is. It it, it can be really practical. 
This is why we want to encourage and equip you to share the gospel in your workplace, with your family, in your neighborhoods. This is why we do want to multiply community groups so that more people will have more opportunities to see and hear the gospel lived out. This is what we want to be at the core of any opportunity to serve at Northbrook, whether it's teaching kids or welcoming people, leading a Bible study, or, or whatever else. We want this to be uh, the, the core of those opportunities. And, and this is why we want even you to think outside the box of opportunities at Northbrook. What, what opportunities has God put in front of you? What, what, what desires do you have? Even if you think about making things right, as verse 4, that God's justice coming into you. There are some of you who are actually just really good at fixing broken things, like literally, like uh, broken things, and you can fix them. And that's one of the ways God can use you uh, to be about what he is about. Um, I, we want to be a church where you, you need to, it, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Like, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to do as you live out this Christian life? Don't feel confined don't feel withheld don't feel we we bless you in and in, in pursuing and experiencing and experimenting with how God would want you to join in with what he's doing in the world that you would spend to, and then you could let us know how we could help you how we could equip you how we can even just pray for you as you go about doing whatever it is that the Lord has put in front of you there's not only these few ways yes we want you to help and be a part of what God's doing in some particular ways at Northbrook but man God's work is not confined to that what in the world Psalm 67 should give us a broader view of what God would want to do with our life, with your life. And here's the thing. There's certain things you shouldn't do because you're not good at them at all. Um, and sometimes it takes figuring. Maybe there's a better way to say that. Uh, but I've already said it, so I don't know what to do now. But uh, the, uh, and, and sometimes it takes experimenting and trying that out. Maybe you try to lead a community group and it doesn't go well, and that's just not what's for you. Maybe you try to greet people and you just got one of those faces that looks angry all the time. Like, okay, maybe we should put someone else in that spot. Um, you know, what, 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 there's, there's just different ways God has gifted us, different experiences he's given us, uh, different opportunities that he's put in front of us. And, and we want to be a church that pursues and desires and, and blesses you in, in that way. Because here's the other thing, guys, we, we, n- none of this can mean we add to our schedule a lot more. None of this can mean, oh, we've got a lot more to do. None of us have space for that. None of us have time for that. We have to be thoughtful about, oh, what is God actually, like, what am I doing with my time? Where do I go most of the time? And what, what does it look like to be about this in those places? What does it look like to ask for God's help? What does it look like to pray and ask that God's people would pray for me and encourage me in this way? What would it look like to lay these things down before my brothers and sisters of, hey, here are barriers that I really feel in regards to being about what God is about among the nations. I don't know what to say. I don't have any time. I don't know what God says. I don't know anything about the Bible. Um, what, what, what is that? And, and how can we join you in that? How can we pray for you? How can we equip you? Again, uh, God's miraculous work uh, is practical. And, and when, it's, when it's his work, we can, again, we can figure out what we're not good at and trust, oh, that's okay. We don't have to be afraid of people. We don't have to be afraid of what people think. We don't have to be afraid of encountering failure because it's God's work, not ours. We're not messing this thing up. Uh, we're, we're risking, we're taking risk, we're trusting him, and we're letting him do uh, what only he can do. If our activity as a church is not about Psalm 67, then we just need to stop doing it, whatever it might be. If it's not about us enjoying God for what he's done for us and that enjoyment and blessing and grace flowing through us to the people around us, then we need to stop doing it. It's not worth doing, whatever that is. 
Yet even in our short little life as a church, we have seen Psalm 67 show up time and time again. How he's working, how he's moving, how he's encouraging his body. Uh, Next week, we start the series called uh, Rooted. And one of the things we're going to do during that series is we're actually going to see some of those things. We're actually going to see some of the stories and some of the ways that God has done this in the life of the people uh, at Northbrook. Uh, And so I hope you will be encouraged as we get to hear about God's work in uh, his body. Um, And so as we close, if you just look back at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. I just want to encourage you, again, why be afraid of admitting you're a sinner when that's the very person Jesus came for? And then once you admit that and enjoy his grace for you, what does it look like to be about uh, sharing and showing and living that grace out so that others could be caught up in this beautiful, miraculous saving power of God's work? Let me pray for us towards that end. Father, we thank you that you show us your heart. Show us your heart for your creation. Even as you call Abram to be a blessing to the nations. Even as you speak the, the priestly blessing over your people. And even as you, you uh, speak, Lord Jesus, that you have all authority, that you have all power, that you will be with us to the end of the age as we go and make disciples of all nations. That we don't have to wonder about your heart, that you haven't set us on a task just to be busy, but you set us on what is most important to you us reveling in your love and kindness towards us in Christ and us being a part of of proclaiming that message to any and all that would hear. And so, Spirit, again, we acknowledge now this is a miraculous work. Would you help us lay down our our small-mindedness and pick up uh, fear and awe of you, the triune God of the universe? And then, Spirit, would you empower us to to take risk, to be bold, to consider the the story that you've given us, the experience you've given us? Uh, Would you wash us anew with the joy of being forgiven? And I just pray that you would multiply opportunities for for the people of Northbrook to, to see your multiplied blessing throughout the ends of the earth. Spirit, even as I pray, I just... I pray that you would give us more faith to believe that. More faith to pray those prayers. And by more faith, I just mean more gazing upon Jesus and trusting that he can do it and that he has done it. And that because it is finished, we can go with his power and his presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.